This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers show number 30. We made it to magic show number 30, recorded on August 1st, 2016. Here in Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity, big data, and the technologies that are shaping the future, all from an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And of course, we post the show with world-class show notes out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions to the webcast, if you'd like to get those in, you can contact me. Just send me an email, Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. And by the way, I know many of you are listening because our numbers, even though we took most of the spring off, the numbers have been pretty good. They picked right back up where they dropped off. So if you want to interact with us on the show, and I can forward those on to Christian, uh, as well, you can uh, just send me that email or track me down on Twitter at jcollison. The AverageGuy.tv uh, platform powered by Maple Grove Partners, both web hosting and media hosting. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people you know and your trusty. The guy's sitting right there in uh, in the picture just down below here. And uh, for more information, visit us, maplegrovepartners.com. And WordPress specific, and I think plans for podcasters start at 10 bucks. So we'd like you to check it out. Again, Maple Grove Partners. Com. Cyber Frontiers is a part of the Geeks Network. Find a link to this show and many other great podcasts at thegeeksnetwork.com. Lots of changes going on at the Geeks Network uh, here over the summer and in the spring. and No, the summer and fall. And uh, so we, we've already lost one of those podcasts. Uh, Mike, Mike Weger has dropped his Apple podcast and some other podcasts coming on. So you might want to pay attention to what's going on. All right. Tonight we're back for Cyber Frontiers. It took us a week or two longer than we wanted to, but... We are back uh, with a lot of talk around IPv6. And Christian, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be back. Uh, good to be in uh, hot summer swing. I mean, it's most most of the week has been high 90s, oh. hit early or hit low 100s uh, last week. So I guess I'm enjoying that, maybe. Nothing better than a swampy Maryland in the middle of summer. So yeah, The so, swamp. The swamp in the swamp. And then... Over there with a fixed microphone and uh, hopefully sounding better. Well, Rune, how are you? Oh, we're doing well. Very excited to be a part of the show. Good. Welcome back. Well, uh, we won't have a swampy podcast tonight because I think we've got some good stuff to talk about. I'm going to kind of let you guys. We've talked about IPv6 before, I think, if we go back. And, of course, every time I hang around Vint Surf, and i got to drop a dime. I mean, i got to do some name dropping. If you're around Vint Surf, and I get to see him, oh, once or twice a year, and you mention IPv6, he will absolutely talk to you for an hour about it. So it's always a great opportunity to spend time with him. So that's how I lure him in to get some to spend some time with him. But Christian, bring us up to speed for those folks who don't know what's going on with it. Bring us up to speed on what's going on because it's a new thing, but it's not really new. But pretty yeah. soon we're all going to be on it, right? It's so new, it's old, right? Um, we talked about this in 2015, maybe on some of the earlier shows. I think we had a... You know, we talked a bit about what makes the technology technology. We're going to really get an academic perspective of that today, and Varun is going to walk us through that. Um, but, yeah, the statistics around IPv6, somewhat the same. I mean, uh, in 2016, though, the adoption rate, which is what everyone cares about, hit 10% worldwide, which sounds kind of negligible. Um, but actually, Google, probably at the will of VintSurf, hosts a map of a world map of statistics showing where the IPv6 adoption rate is. And it looks like the United States has hit a 30% IPv6 adoption, which is significantly higher than what I was expecting. Now, outside of the U.S., that number is very, very, very negligible, which is probably why we're getting 10% overall worldwide. Um, it's interesting to see that most of your government enterprise is getting on board with IPv6, but residential connections are not getting those addresses still. Uh, that doesn't seem to have changed all that much since we last talked. Um, but the technology and the, the ways in which it interacts with the old stack and the new, I think are going to continue to be relevant, uh, especially as we move into cloud data center solutions that are using SDN routing. I think there are some pros to having an IPv6 network take advantage of those technologies. Um, but we're also going to look at it from a security perspective. But that's really kind of the snapshot. Here's where IPv6 is in the marketplace. 
but we want to go back a little bit and really cover some of the academic fundamental grounds behind uh, the technology itself. Um, so Christian, you mentioned that some of the residential uh, aspects have been slow on switching to IPv6. V6. So uh, what about cell phone carriers? Yeah, cell phone carriers are interesting because I think, gosh, I want to say my cell phone has shown IPv6 addressing from, from time to time. So I know that cell carriers are doing it. I don't know at what rate they're doing it, but definitely a step up from where your, you know, your Verizon Fios cable into the house, I believe they're um, farther along. There are two networks, I want to say in particular, that have adopted, but I'm a bit fuzzy on it. Um, maybe T-Mobile, um, from what I remember. Uh, but yeah, that's and that's actually, it's interesting, right? Because when you think about what types of devices um, really comprise the Internet of Things and would require that type of address space, cell phones is like one of the no-brainers. These are the types of things that should be in an IPv6 network. Um, but yeah, okay, so so I'm right. So uh, T-Mobile, their IP traffic for V6 last year had exceeded uh, 53%, and more than 66% of connections from Verizon Wireless went over IPv6. So those are the two carriers who are really doing it. Um, AT&T is almost at 50%. So, yeah, you're seeing a lot of the U.S. telecom carriers adopt it. That's probably why the U.S. numbers for IPv6 are so much dramatically higher is because they have strong support um, from the cell carrier network in addition to the fact that the government now requires, uh, well, has, but, you know, they've fully rolled out at this point complete IPv6 compliance across all federal government websites and so forth. Um, so from that perspective, we're... You know, our country is at a specific, uh, you know, farther track in that implementation, but I think that's largely in part because of the pushes that have been here locally to make that happen. Well, but we know that carriers don't change unless there's a financial incentive, right, in some way. And so the financial incentive is they can add more people, right? They can add more devices. They can make things available. It sounds like we're to that tipping point in the United States where, that is, that's a necessity, right? We ran out of IP addresses. They can't assign any new ones. They can recycle some of the ones they have. But are we to that tipping point, Christian, where it's starting to make financial sense? Like, hey, if we're, if we're going to bring on new and more customers, we've got to have six up and running. Otherwise, we just can't support them, right? Yeah, and, and not just from that perspective, but um, humorously enough, the implementation of IPv6 on a scale, you know, at scale is a lot more power efficient than IPv4. So there, you know, over the course of the cycle from both a consumer perspective using battery life and a carrier network, they're now going to be saving pretty substantial power savings as well. So there's definitely an economy of scale that goes with the technology um, as well as being able to fit more customers in, more types of devices, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Also, if you look at the uh, security features, which we'll get into specifics in a little bit, um, IPv6, you know, the things that are built into it, uh, it's a lot more um, it's a lot more secure than IPv4 was initially, you know, before everybody uh, started developing security solutions for it. So there's also that aspect. But, Waruna, I don't think the, the average carrier cares, to be honest with you about it. I mean... They'll, they want it secure enough for their own so they don't get in trouble. But I, I think, and maybe we can talk about this as we get a little bit deeper in here, I don't know if that's a huge motivator for them because they don't, there have been no massive breaches on phones for the most part. That's not, you just don't hear that. Has it happened? Sure. Has it been massive like Target or Sony or, right, right. when we think about those massive breaches? So I just don't think they have an incentive it's great that it's got some additional security stuff in it, and I know Vint would tout that a lot, but there, there's right now the public wouldn't be screaming. The American public would not be screaming for some of them. They're there, and we're going to talk about them, but I just don't think that's as an incentive. They want to get handsets or whatever devices in the hands of, and they can't do more of them until they physically get these addresses. So I think right. that's going to drive a lot of the. Yeah, and, and you know, there's also extensions to... Uh, the protocol to be able to, you know, foster that growth. A lot of people have heard of IPv6, but not a lot of people have heard of MIPv6, which is literally just putting the word mobility in front. But um, there is a formal RFC specification for mobility support in IPv6 that talks about how, 
nodes, in this case mobile devices, um, can remain reachable as those nodes move throughout the IPv6 internet. So that type of capability is obviously very relevant to a cell carrier network. Um, so really, um, in many ways, the, the technology that enables some of these functions um, is kind of already been formalized, but yeah, I don't I don't necessarily, I'm also of the opinion that security wasn't an afterthought, but wasn't the priority. Um, the priority was let's get more addresses on the internet. Um, I don't think the priority was let's make it more secure. Right. Um, although, you know, there's, there's arguments for and against that. The reality is when you now have all these devices with IPv6 addresses, can you really call a larger surface more secure? Um, and it's, your answer to how much you trust that is only as in how much you trust the protocol. Yeah. Well, let's let's dig in a little bit on it because uh, we've talked a bunch around it. And so when we think about, I mean, and it is, hey, all the things we learned in theory, it's all the things we learned on IPv4, we got a new shot at it. Like, hey, let's let's fix this. So, uh, Waruna, why don't you walk us through a little bit of what is it? Sure. So uh, for those that aren't familiar with uh, exactly what IPv6 is, it's a new internet pro protocol. Right now, right, uh, right now we're on IPv4, so essentially what we have is uh, we have an address that is 32 bits, um, and IPv6 would be 128 bits. So what, it, uh, what that essentially allows is for more addresses, and it would um, get rid of some of the issues uh, regarding, you know, reassigning addresses and running out of them. Uh, we would actually have enough addresses, I believe, for each person to have something like 4 billion uh, devices. So it would, rather than having, uh, say, like an enterprise all route through the same IP address, now each individual device could have its own IP address. Um, now, with it comes, again, there is the fact that, you know, there's security issues, there's uncertainty regarding it because it is new technology. But its overall goal, like you mentioned, is to get us um, get as many devices as possible connected to each other rather than, you know, through a router or through a secondary uh, service. And so tell me more about how that routing works. Where is the where is the routing from, let's say, internet service provider layer down to the consumer layer? So right now, if you have a router, uh, there's... In your home, you have private uh, IP addresses. So, you know, your computer might have one, your laptop might have one, whatever, your tablets, your phones. Um, and through your router, you have a public IP address, which is what's viewable from the world. And, you know, and what IPv6 would do is rather than go through that system, each device would have its own uh, IPv6 address that is visible to the rest of the world. So you would not no longer have um, a method where you have to go through one service or another to get to a device. You would have direct access to it. And that's one of the bigger um, advantages of IPv6. You would no longer have to tunnel through different uh, services or different um, machines to get through but, but to your you destination. Could, right? I mean, you still could yes. present yeah. a public IP address and then drop that into a sector where there, you might have private IP. I mean, the beauty of IPv, uh, IVP, I, okay, so I won't, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, the beauty of it uh, was that you had these non-public addresses that you could assign into a home network, which a lot of us guys did, right? We created 192.168 addresses. Does that same thing exist in, in uh, IPv6? So it does, but it's not one of the design goals for IPv6. Of course, you can set it up on your own, but it's... It's something that IPv6 is trying to solve. By having more addresses, or, or how does it solve? Because I know right, my 192 addresses are not going to be broadcasted on the Internet. right? I know right. they're not routable from that standpoint. How, and I, with, with IPv6, how do I know? You know, because there's infinitely more numbers, well, that's great, but how do I have that same confidence that it's not being routed out or being yeah, seen? Right, so that comes with the fact that, again, there's just the pure number of um, addresses possible in IPv6 would make it very hard for you to, you know, kind of pick and point IP address and trying to get in and, you know, have it be the target you're going after if you're uh, trying to do something malicious. Okay. Um, also, I don't, I don't like that answer, by the way. That, that doesn't make me, from a networking standpoint, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. Like, all right, so there's more addresses and you're protected by obscurity. Christian, is that 
Is, I mean, do I have the right opinion, or am I am I being too picky about this? Um, so there's like a couple things here. Um, one is that there are what's called kind of public, private, and reserved ranges similar to um, IPv4, but it's something called a unique local address, and the advantage of that is that those IPv6 addresses are not routable on the internet. Um, and so there are ways, and if you actually look at the IPv6, uh, IPv6 stack in Windows, you'll see that there's capabilities for setting up like a multicast address, a unicast address. There's like three different IPv6 addresses you set up, and based on which address you're using can determine the scope of what is accessible. The second piece is though that because of the design of IPv6, the first 64 bits of that header is the public part of that address and the second 64 bits is the private portion of that address. And so, uh, yeah, when you're putting a device out there that has that type of address, yes, technically, if you know the address directly, you get to the address directly. Um, and that's where the, you know, that's where the security through obscurity, or in this case through the size of the domain, really can come into play. Um, but there are ways, obviously, to run an IPv6 local cast network, we'll call it, that is separate from the Internet. Yeah. But once you're saying, you know, I want my device to be part of this, you know, router network, etc., it's up in the stakes for the fact that you're be pu being put on the, the IoT web sphere, as I call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for the rest of the podcast, well, let's say V4 and V6. That's a lot easier than IPv4. I always get that. That's hard for me to say. So I'll say V4, V6 for these. Waruna, well, what else? What are the what are the other benefits when we think about V4? Right, so IPv6, like I mentioned, uh, there are some, uh, in terms of a security uh, perspective, there are some benefits. The first benefit is um, IPv6 trims a lot of the, uh, in, in terms of the packets, it trims a lot of the access uh, information from IPv4. So overall, the packet size is a little bit bigger just because the addresses are uh, larger, but a lot of the um, access uh, information that's uh, in IPv4 packets are actually removed. So efficiency-wise and security-wise, uh, it's faster, it's a little bit safer. Um, the other big uh, advantage when it comes to IPv6 is it allows end-to-end -end encryption. So everything heading out of an IPv6-capable uh, machine will be encrypted, and everything going into an IPv6 uh, um, device will be encrypted. So in the end, um, IPv6 is a little bit more, uh, a little bit faster, and safer uh, in terms of privacy. Um, of course, uh, there are some drawbacks that come with uh, IPv6 that have been addressed uh, before, and one of them is uh, there's no there's typically no NATs for uh, IPv6. Uh, and some people are concerned that that might mean a lack of security because you can control traffic at the uh, NAT. Um, now, even though there, now this is, like I said, uh, some concern and it's not proven because the NAT itself is not providing security, it's the uh, firewalls uh, that provide security. So again, once uh, with the IPv6, you do see a greater amount of security and a little bit more efficiency compared to v4. Does, so does this go to, to, to my concern and that, in other words, security is basically handled at the firewall level in most right. cases, and that that's the stop as opposed to having these private addresses. Is that the same thing? So uh, it's it's similar. So when when it again, that's where the uh, having the extraneous or having enough addresses per, for every single device comes into play. Um, say if you have an enterprise and you have all your computers that are flowing through a single hub, and then you can control, you know, or if you have a proxy, you can control what websites each uh, device tries to access and so forth. Without those, uh, without that, um, IPv, uh, V6 security would have to be implemented at each device rather than a single node. Okay. What about some of... Christian, do you want to add anything there? Um, not there. Okay. <laughs> so let's keep going. Let's talk a little bit about the security difference. Sure. So uh, with again with v, uh, v6, there's added security, but there's also um, 
there's certain uh, features of v6 that aren't uh, in v4. So I can so one of them is something called IPsec. So IPsec IPsec essentially allows data confidentiality, integrity, and authentication at the network layer. And the, uh, IPsec is more or less built into v 6 and it uses symmetric uh, encryption certificates and it can be deployed uh, in itself between clients, routers, and the uh, firewalls themselves. So this is where some of the concerns about you know public and private uh, addresses come into play where it can, uh, data can be sent throughout the public network without a large fear of being observed or monitored or spoofing. spoofing. It's interesting and that you, you mentioned the security. It's been a while since I've looked at all seven layers of the network, you know, the, the architecture. When we took A plus and N plus certifications, you know, 15 years ago, that was a big deal. I think today, Christian, I don't think a lot of people really work their way through all those seven layers and understand what each one does. Yeah, and, and you know that's what one of the things I was going to say about you know IPv6 in general is that I don't think you know keep in mind IP we're talking about layer three, right? Mm -hmm. Layer one and two have not changed in this process. So what that really means is the underlying TCP stack that runs the internet is the exact same. Um, so you know, yes, the protocol and format that they created for IPv6 is different sizing, obviously, to store the newer address. You've gotten rid of things like NAT because it's not really necessary anymore because now it has the public-private piece. All NAT ever did was translate the public piece into the private piece behind the firewall. Now that notion's kind of gone, by the way. That will throw off the majority of classically trained sysadmins. They'll be like, I don't know what to do with that. It's throwing me off, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, but I mean... You know, just to show you an example of this stuff is tweakable, um, so to speak, uh, there's a great website called enhancedip.org, and what that site actually is, it's kind of a researchy site, and it talks about a protocol that is a solution to IBV4 address depletion, it, but it has two advantages. One is that it doesn't replace what IPv4 uh, is as a stack, it merely kind of builds on top of it, and it doesn't require the adoption of, of having that IPv6 stack. So as a result, um, they're able to come up with 64-bit addresses, right? IPv4 is, uh, V4 is 32 bits, V6 is 128 bits, this en enhanced IP is 64 bits. So it's the 32-bit public address that you're all used to, and it's the 32-bit private address that you're all used to. So in many ways, it mimics the um, kind of mashing of those addresses that IPv6 has, but it uses the old IPv6, uh, IPv4 numbers that folks recognize. And that's actually really cool because all that essentially boils down to is modifying your existing router kernel and getting user adoption to doing that type of solution. Um, and it's not like it requires a, you know, it's the same thing. Like your router can support IPv6 because the company that sold you that router implemented the stack for that protocol. Um, so it just kind of goes to show you that it's not smoke and mirrors, but it's, keep in mind, it, the underlying news of the news flash here is that TCP has remained the same and the, the more earth-shattering could be if someone ever decided to, you know, uproot the way we route packets. Um, or I shouldn't say route. Um, the way we format and, and push packets, but, you know, routing is the whole function of an IP. Um, so from that perspective, layer one, layer two, set in stone, it's the same. Layer three... I call it the layer that's up to negotiation. We've kind of just decided that IPv6 is the future because that's what most people have flagged for and that's what everything is supporting. You could write your own custom address protocol on there, no problem, and stick it on top of TCP. That's how it was designed. It's really the point of what the layers were in the first place, is that each time you go up a layer, you're building more modularity and you're abstracting the capabilities more and more. It's a good point. That's a good point. When we think of, or no, when we think of um, the, the the security or the end end security or the security pieces, talk a little bit about, talk a little bit more about what we get with that. And by the way, Christian, your explanation of 
one half is is public and one half is private makes a lot of sense to me now. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, okay. I mean, I know that's an over grossly oversimplification, right? But I think for us average guys, I think that's like, oh, that's okay. it. Yeah. So yeah. keep going, Aruna. So the end-to-end security, um, I'm sure that most of us remember, you know, one of the biggest, uh, most controversial cyber topics was, you know, the entire Apple versus FBI, where the FBI wanted to break in, um, wanted Apple to create the backdoor, and that was only because the messages sent uh, between iPhones are encrypted. So when they head out, they're encrypted, and then when they receive it, uh, they're encrypted, and only the receiver and the sender can uh, unencrypt. So essentially, it's more or less the same with IPv6. Because they're directly accessible, um, because each device has the capacity to have their own address, um, say we have two devices, A and B, um, whatever A is sending can only, uh, if B is the recipient, only B could read it, and then if whatever B is sending to A, only A can, A can read it. So there's some, there's the increased privacy and security that comes with the um, end-to-end encryption that is uh, embedded into IPv6. Yeah, and the whole uh, concept of IPsec2, which you know that's that's another example of why why having these enhancements are so vital because one of the really cool enterprise capabilities with IPv6 is supposed to be the idea that you can. Um, constantly maintain a tunnel in another network. So usually when a VPN goes down, it has to you know reestablish the connection if it detects that something's gone wrong. IP, uh, IPsec doesn't exactly work that way. It's kind of like a continuous tunnel that works from wherever the node is moving around to on the IPv6 network. And that's part of what we were talking about too with uh, MIPv6, which has the mo- mobility aspect. Um, IPsec is supposed to be, A, a really secure way. We've talked about why. Uh, B, um, have the reliability and not going down. And C, the portability and being able to move around on different networks and still maintain a tunnel in the network of, of interest. Maybe, yes. Do we feel confidence in that answer? Yeah, sure. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are we on drawbacks? Because it sounds like we've talked too much about good things. I want to hear right. bad things. <laughs> All right, let's get to the bad things. So drawbacks, because it is an early technology, the biggest drawback is proper deployment and configuration. Like Christian mentioned, um, the United States is, again, far ahead of the other uh, nations just because things like you know mobile carriers and such. But because it's a new, uh, new technology, there's a lot of learning to go with it. And I think, Jim, you mentioned it as well, where you know system administrators now have to work with this new system. Where they they don't have the same tools and you know they're not it's not what they're used to and it's not something that you know it's fairly new compared to v4 that's been you know around for decades. But but wasn't the promise of v6 is it could be implemented on top of v4 and those two would work together so that you could make a slow transition or am I wrong about? That? Well, so the in terms of software you could, but at the same time there's um, when it comes to the hardware IPv4. IPv6 and IPv4, they're not um, backwards compatible. So one of the biggest issues was uh, hosting services. Again, for example, I believe Microsoft, Amazon, all these services that host you know, other websites and servers, they're all built on IPv4. And switching to v6 would cost these companies you know, a lot of money a lot of time. So it's not something that can be done overnight. It's going to take a lot of energy, a lot of money, and a lot of time to make the switch. But can't they run them simultaneously? In other words, can I have V6 and V4 running at the same time to, to ease that? So this, uh, in terms of software, the specifications, I believe that um, you, can't, you can't have an IPv4 uh, address converted, converted into a IPv6 address. Again, just because of the fact that IPv4, you have so many, you know, I believe it was like 4 billion uh, addresses versus, you know, I. Uh, IPv6, you know, is four billion per person. You know, it's it's a large difference in you know the number of addresses themselves. So it's not something you can easily convert back and forth. So yeah, it's it's not that you're converting it though, but there is a middle layer called six to four that allows you to take traffic that exists on a uh, v6 network and throw it over a v4 network. And so there's a way that that protocol maps those. Um, address spaces without having to explicitly configure tunnels to do that. And so if, if you look at the stack for Windows and other 
uh, kernels, you'll notice that 6 to 4, even in Windows, is like its own driver. Um, so technically, if you hit an, uh, a v6-only site and you can get your router to give you that traffic, if your box is a v4-only, there should be ways to use 6 to 4 tunneling to actually push that down and push a response back out. But yeah, you can't physically have a v4 address run in a v6 stack just because the, the TCP specification for how those uh, packets are crafted are different based on whether you're talking v4 or v6. So Christian, uh, you know, I have a modem that's sitting up on the wall that uh, is handling, that's my one IP address, right? My one public sure. IP address. Sure. Everything's 192.168 behind the firewall here. Yep. Cox decides to go IP6, right? Or they they go V6 on us and they start making the changes. I'm assuming, I mean, V6 is anything new. A lot of the a lot of the new equipment that's out these days is built to support V6. It's got the protocol in there. If I just changed over to V6 so I could basically translate the data that's coming across from Cox, does that break my internal network at this point? Do I have to implement everything V6 internally? Or is that NAT, well, traditionally we'd rely on NAT to make that happen. How is that going to come off my modem and make its way in and route through my own internal network, or is it? Yeah, uh, that's a good question because uh, the way I've seen it, you know, if your uh, provider starts supporting it, I've only seen setups where you get both IPv4 and yeah. IPv6 addresses. So obviously if you have legacy v4 addresses, it's still going to go through the v4 IP that they're giving you. If they were to give you a v6 only address, that might look a little different. And I think the answer to that is the router has to support 6 to 4 tunneling where it internally maps the traffic it gets back from the v6 router into... Um, what's going on in your internal network. So so the router still has an understanding of both stacks and can communicate both, but it has to do some internal mapping to push that down and push it back up. But yeah, your, your older devices would still see the router with its v4 address, and then um, when you get to going out to the public internet, if it has a v6-only link, then it has to be able to translate that back and forth. Are they deploying routers that do that? I think so. That would be a reasonable assumption. Consumer stuff always gets a little funky, though, so uh, cautiously optimistic. Um, I know there are some, I think either Cox or Comcast is one of them, that, that is providing V6 addressing, so it's probably not that far off. Yeah, but it just seemed to me that we're going to have to get really good at for, for V6 to really take off. Like I think the enterprise can do this, right? It's got it's got paid administrators. These are guys who are pros. They're IT pros. They're kind of they've been talking about this. We've been you know we have we have V6 Day you know uh, around the world. We've been talking about this for years now. I, I don't think the enterprise when it's ready, I don't think the enterprise will struggle to deploy that. Like one night things will shut down. They'll the their PCs will come back online. They'll get a V6 address. The internal users won't care. Because they have internet, they're they're connecting to their you know to their uh, mission critical systems, right? Voila, right. I think the enterprise is, is going to be easy, but it's getting consumers yeah. to change, right? That I think is going to be the problem. Now, in a lot of cases, maybe not. A lot of consumers just connect to their wireless router and don't care, right? And so it's one change, new DHCP address right. you know, addresses come out, v6. They don't care. They don't even know, right? So maybe right. maybe I'm making a big deal about nothing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I think the average user might not notice, especially if it's like on your phone, for example. Perfect example of how I bet your phone cell carrier could just flip overnight to V6 only, and you would be no worse for wear. But yeah, nobody, nobody connects to these, yeah. right? For the most part, yeah. and if they do, they're doing it over Wi-Fi, not over networking. Right. right? So that's the perfect stack. I, you know, who I think has the most trouble is guys like me who have set up their own internal networks. Right to be secure in whatever they're trying to do. They've got their own routers. They've got PFSense or whatever. Yeah. And they, they've geeked it out, and they've learned V4, and now they're going to have to make some decisions around V6. I think that's who, that's the enthusiast is the ones who get screwed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and as a random aside, I'm sure the podcast community will love to know that my cat is freaking out that the door is closed, so I'm going to go let it out. That's, that sounds fine. <laughs> uh, Oruna, what, what else, uh, anything um, when we think of 
drawbacks? Anything we didn't cover in that list? Right. So um, in terms of, again, this is purely in terms of uh, the security regarding V6 and V4. Uh, one of the things about V6 uh, compared to V4 is rep uh, reputation-based protection. So if you look at your um, basic uh, security software, Norton, McAfee, whatever it is, uh, it'll most likely have a database full of uh, IP addresses saying which ones are safe, which ones have been known to distribute malware, and so forth. When it comes to V6, there are uh, there are very there's very little support for such things, just because again, not a lot of websites are on V6, or not a lot of uh, not a lot of it is known. So, when it comes to rep uh, reputation uh, based uh, reputation based security for software vendor vendors, uh, V6 is definitely going to be lagging behind V4 just because of the knowledge gap. Yeah. No. Mike Howard says in the chat room, "Hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute." He says, um, "I'm going to have trouble with my PFSense router." Does does DHCP work the same way with V6 as it does with V4? In other words, I mean, do I, yeah. set, do I set those internal addresses the same and say, "Okay, here's my public, and now these are what I want in the private," or is kind it of, completely different? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the um, the way PFSense, the menu is laid out, which, by the way, they came up with a swanky new GUI if you haven't gotten the latest yeah, it's version. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Although my PFSense router died, like the motherboard <sighs> went down. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm well, back on the Unhub, the Onhub router full time. Ew, Jim. Well, it's what I got, man. Yikes. All right. Well, um, PFSense. I, I got a. Hold on. I got an H. I have an HP microserver right here that I've been <laughs> trying to turn back into a PFSense router until I can figure out if the. It's, it is the board, but it, it's looking like my my Atom N4 or my Atom D525 board that I bought four years ago. I'm just waiting for the day that you tell me you're going to try and turn your Drobo into a PFSense router, and then I will have true. Hey, they might one. have an app. They might have an app for it. I'll have to check with the guys at Drobo. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, no, it's only got one network. Board. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in either case, uh, if you look at the uh, PFSense menu layout, there is. Two separate routers, a, a DHCP and a DHCP V6, and it kind of works the same in the sense that it will, it has to broadcast and say, okay, who are my people on this network? Um, the way the broadcasting in IPv6 happens is different. Uh, it's not the same type of traditional chatty ARPA or ARP stuff that you see in IPv4, where it's like, is someone on this address? No. Is someone on this address? Yes. Okay, someone on this address. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And yeah, now you can understand why IPv6 is a bit more power efficient because it's not like a why are you repeating yourself type protocol. Um, so the way in which one broadcasts themselves happens differently, but um, the actual can you reserve addresses and do that stuff, I believe you can. Um, and so... You might just have to get used to the funky-looking hexadecimal addresses as opposed to decimal addresses, but um, other than that, it's kind of congruent with what you would expect. Cool. What else? Anything else in that drawback section? The drawback mm. section. <laughs> drawbacks, drawbacks. The biggest one for me is still Internet of Things. I mean, um, I will preach as our weekly segment on what happens when you increase the attack surface. Um, here's a good example. Now you're going to billions of devices with addresses. Mm -hmm. um, so you're really getting to a place where now it's a, I don't know, IPv4 is a, is a world of opportunity and V6 we say is a world of obscurity, um, but I like to think that there's opportunity in obscurity as with many other security evangelists. So there might be lines of argument, you know, just like when you register, when you get a block of IPv4 addresses, you know, for your corporation or for your organization, they're all registered, right? So I can go into the Aaron net and see, okay, this block is registered to this organization, et cetera, et cetera. So really, the way I see it, unless we're doing registration different for V6 blocks, which I don't believe we are, I can still go and look up organizations and say, which organization is responsible for owning and administering this set of V6 blocks? And at that point, if I'm a cyber criminal and I want to target a particular organization for a purpose, from that perspective, the obscurity of the size of the network doesn't really affect my ability to, you know, point my, point my um, cyber kittens of choice towards that network. 
Uh, I think in the spaces that are unregistered or are kind of the expanse, so to speak, yeah, those are a little bit harder. You might uh, kind of wonder um, what's really going on here. But again, the majority of the addresses that we're talking about here are still registered and tracked and are still leased out in, in blocks. And I think now that IPv6 is so much more fruitful, companies will be able to get really, really, really large blocks. So it's like, if you want to say, I want to attack the Fios network, well, great. Go have a field day because they're going to be really, really, really large blocks. If you want to attack a user on Fios, great. It's still going to be a really, really, really large block. You say something maybe more specific, though, like, um, you know, I want to tackle... How about me? Yeah. Well, so what if somebody wanted to attack me? Yeah, so that's the thing, though, right? So you're in one of those types of commercial networks like Fios or Comcast where they're probably going to be getting lots of blocks. Yeah. I'm thinking more of like your small business organization that's paying for one of these, you know, static lease blocks. You know, even something like, um, you know, Microsoft has a lot of cloud addresses, so they're probably not a good example, but... Um, most of your Fortune 500 and other types of corporations where they have their own personal blocks, that's kind of the reality in that in that light is that, you know, those could be more targetable. Um, but I think the social footprints of what enable folks to still discover addresses, I think that will, I don't think it's necessarily as, you know, it's not as small as before, so I, I see the argument, but I don't think it's as far of a stretch as what people are exciting just based on the... Yeah. Well, doesn't Moore's Law apply at this point? That I mean, it's great that there's a great infinite number, but won't we just come up with new ways to scan and discover those faster? Yeah, so there's... Uh, it really comes down to a pruning technique, right? i got to hand it to folks, 2 to the 128 is a heck of a lot bigger of a space than 2 to 32. And if you don't believe yourself, type 2 to the 128 in your Windows calculator and watch it overflow, okay? It's just right. how it works, right? It's infinitely, I mean, it's gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, like I said, there's ways, I believe, that we will use social and, and you know, just... I call it matter-of-fact business. The reality of how business is done, there will be social techniques in which allow folks to prune the space of addresses to what they're looking for uh, within reason. And so I, I don't think that's too unreasonable to expect at this point. Yeah. You know, especially because it's like, okay, let's say I want to, you know, and there's some really obvious cases. If my website, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. Give me a website, Jim. TheAverageGuy.tv. There That's we go. Nice. TV. you know, if I do a DNS lookup because I want to go get a page from them and I see what their IPv6 address is, well, great. I know where TheAverageGuy.tv lives. If I want to launch a DDoS attack because I don't like Jim and I don't want, you know, his podcast to make it out to folks, then, yeah, I, literally there's no searching required. I think what we're really talking about here is the case where, you know, uh, Miner Joe says, I want to go scan through the interwebs for three days, collect all the addresses, and see all the services that are running that are either stealth mode or this or that. Um, that's, yes, fair, fair, fair point. You know, we can scan the, I, the V4 address space in, like, a day. Um, we can do that with V6. I mean, it's just such a dizzying... Um, has, has anybody figured that out, how long that would take? Uh, yeah, I've seen calculations for it. I'm not really sure which ones I believe, and I'd have to look it up again, to be honest. I know there's... I, people have started to beat that into the ground, but... Um, yeah, the, the reality there, though, is that, again, unless we start getting quantum or something silly... Um, it's just not going to be feasible to rack through that address space and anything under than... I mean, i got to imagine it's hundreds of years, but I don't know the actual answer. Yeah, and eventually that will get faster and faster as we... You know, it's kind of like creating a blockchain from that standpoint. It'll get faster and faster and more efficient. But, you know, you never know. Once the technology's out there and it's financially advantageous to work through it, there will be productive people who find ways to shorten that up or make it faster or whatever. So, you know, it is it is one of those... I, In the long run, 
I, I don't like that kind of security. But I do understand this, right, when we think about the positives. So encryption across the board, right, for everybody. Encryption for everybody. Woohoo! Right, from that standpoint. Some opportunities, at least in the early days, to have more, more security by obscurity. And there's some other things involved in that as well. More addresses so everything can connect. Um, and, and then we get some under the covers. I think we get... I get some I, we get some things that would put everybody to sleep if we really started thinking about what's really under the covers of v6 and some of the things that are happening there but for the average guy for the academic from that would, would you say I've hit most of those benefits if we just kind of think about and then you know we've talked about some of the security problems uh, with it as well do you think that covers it um maybe <laughs> um, there's there's the security piece is, is is always kind of an evolving thing. I mean, it's like okay, did we hit all the major points? Yes, but what are we really missing? I'm not sure because we I don't think we've seen the level of cybercrime in the V4 space that we have in the V6, and so I think it's a kind of ripening of opportunity that as folks adopt V6, it's just like the classic. Mac versus Windows argument of Macs don't have viruses, PCs do. And why does that rumor, you know, go about? Because, you know, Windows is a substantially larger market share of OSs, and so attackers want to spend their time on that space. It'll be the same way once V6 becomes more of a used space than V4. Um, you know, folks will... Uh, who are in the the cyber criminal arena will naturally want to gravitate towards that. That's just kind of the um, reality of it. The humorous example, however, is just because one space is more targeted than the other doesn't mean it's more vulnerable than the other. Good classic example is I really hope everyone who owns an Apple device who's listening to this podcast is on version. Uh, iOS version 9.3.3 or later, and whatever the equivalent is on the desktops. Why? Because a recent bug was disclosed, little known, um, that pretty much you can send an image to any iOS device and start leaking cell phone data, contacts, etc. Literally just an image. All I have to do is know your phone number and send that image to you and let the games begin, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, just because one platform is not more popular than the other says nothing about where the ripening for opportunity is. And so I think we have to wait. We have to sit on the sidelines a little bit more and wait to see how that plays out. So, Christian, um, I know uh, So we talked about end-to-end -end encryption and also a little bit about end-to-end -end, uh, transparency. How would this affect uh, some of the topics from uh, a few weeks ago, specifically, you know, tour, net, uh, tour routing and... Uh, Mixed routing. Uh, yeah, that's a that's actually a pretty good question. Um, so, with Tor routing, you know, it's actually it's kind of what we drew the analogy last week. I, I see IPv6 really enabling IPsec to be successful, which is your kind of classic VPN tunnel with the robust capabilities that the v6 address space provides. Um, so, in a similar way, you're getting the uh, confidentiality because you can't see the traffic. Uh, you're getting the integrity um, because you can't manipulate the traffic without stuff coming back incorrectly uh, because it's encrypted end-to-end. -end. Uh, but again, the, the difference will still be the same between IPsec, V6, and Tor is that you don't get to say, I have anonymity or non-repudiation. You know, if I go and get and pack it somewhere throughout the internet, it's going to show up through my VPN address. And yes, you're right. As we discussed before, if you're tunneling through different VPNs, that's in a way simulating some of the effects of anonymity. It's not the same thing as what a true mixnet is that Tor provides. And that's the difference. Boom. Right. Left us speechless. I know. Everyone's so excited about that. We'll have to truncate silence when we produce the podcast. So does that mean am I losing... The, the 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 ability to be anonymous with with v6 or are there yeah. still ways to do it well I mean there's still ways to do it so essentially that you could run tour in a v6 environment basically it's just kind of you're definitely not getting worse off you're probably getting a little bit better off um, and you know of that 
there are more capabilities in the v6 stack that might make for more interesting anonymity projects down the road if people want to build kind of what's the future of Tor in v6 I mean there's a lot of cool stuff you might be able to do there and, and the point is because I'm making a I'm making an encrypted connection to another server that's not tracking me right and so when I hit there I'm, there's no log files or there's limited or whatever and it's it's transversing through that and I'm getting lost in the shuffle mm -hmm. so to speak right I mean is that I mean that's a simplistic way of looking at it but am I right yeah I, I mean I think that's a pretty fair assessment um, obviously you know if if I know that Jim Collison VPNs into this corporate network then I might you know your anonymity might not really be there Especially if, like, I consistently see Jim's VPN in all the time, but he always logs into Amazon at this IP address. Uh, I, again, you have to have some middleman awareness in all those scenarios, and that's the same thing in an IPv4 space. Um, so, you know, now just it becomes a question of what can we take advantage of in the v6 uh, space that might improve that. Uh, so, Oruna, do you have any, yeah, as you've studied some of this, your, your goal this webcast was to really study on this. When we think about implementation moving forward, how do you feel like with the progress that we're making on V6? Is it speeding up? Is it slowing down? Is it have we reached everyone we're going to, you know, sometimes there's early adopters and then it slows way down. Sometimes there's, you know, it begins a nice little hockey stick, you know, it's a it's a, right. it's a nice little where what do you think and the work that you've done, how do you feel about the adoption uh, rate today and how it's moving forward? Right. So one thing that's, again, driving the entire IPv6 adoption is the Internet of Things. And that's more and more companies, more and more services are going into that business. I feel like IPv6 will be adopted more just because it's easier, it's faster, um, there's, you know, less redundancy and so forth. Of course, that being said, there are some, you know, people that will be resisting the change again. If you've already invested a lot of money or you know infrastructure in IPv4, you're going to be more, less likely to switch to IPv6. But overall, I think that IPv6 is you know it's it's going it's increasing at a consistent rate so far at least, and I hope that it's and I believe that it's going to keep going that way again just because of the entire Internet of Things um, boom that's going on these days. Especially, you know, you have different companies like Google that's investing a lot of pro uh, money into, you know, products like Nest, and with the entire, you know, just coming home, everything's connected. It's, I believe that that's only possible through IPv6. Well, it works today on v4, though, and you know, it it works behind firewalls and those, it, especially in the home automation space. I'm a little, I'm just a little skeptical that today we we've solved a lot of these Internet of Things problems with v4 based networks and they work just fine I don't sometimes I don't see that that reasoning it's like okay so why do I need to have an, a v6 address for my nest what's the value what's the value in that right again that's that's it's more on the side of the fact that you know how many sp uh, addresses do we have for IPv4 right. again once you come home, Say you have a you know a 10, 15, whatever devices, but it's all on your home network. It doesn't really matter. But right. as you move you know further and further out, um, and, you know you can't expand the radius of how far these devices are connecting with each other. For example, right. you could have your thermostat connect with your car and so forth. So it's no longer within your home router. So you, that's when you know the entire issue about each device having its own. Um, address comes into play. Well, I think you just said it, right? In mobile devices where it's, you're going outside the bounds of your home network, right, when it right. becomes important. So I think in vehicles, I think, because, right, they're not always home. Wearables, uh, you know, when I think about my band or when I think about my Apple Watch or whatever, those kinds right. of things that may or may not be dependent on phones. And then the wearables we haven't invented yet. You know, what, what are those going to be you know, I think we have a whole new series of cameras, of wearable cameras that are coming. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, GoPro is just the beginning of what we're going to see when it comes to web-based cameras. And the connectivity to them is going to be so high. So I, I, that's a question I have all the time is, like, I don't know if Internet of Things, a lot of times we associate Internet of Things with home automation. And, right. and yes, that's true because these things have IP addresses, but they don't, they're, they don't contribute to the, the to the internet problem. They're, 
we could put it I could put an infinite amount of IP driven devices in my home and connect them not infinite but you know what I mean I, a, a lot I could put a lot right. in the house and I would not run into an IP problem but the right. second I leave the house right yep. I'm out of the network and, and uh, that, yeah, and that's again one of those things. Right now, yeah, like you mentioned, the Internet of Things is focused around the house, but you know, it's true purpose where it's little interaction. So you know, everything around your house. For example, let's say you go out and go uh, go get groceries. You bring, uh, you start taking the car out. Your house might start reacting to that. You know, turn on the lights, turn off the lights, whatever. Open the garage and so forth. But that kind of thing, your car can't be on. You know, your home monitor, uh, right. home network. So but it, it, has could, to, it could it could drill through, right? It could know my right. home address and then go through. I think it's when we have to connect those devices outside of the home, and the home's not involved at all. In exactly. fact, I think the home will slow the the, the this move to v6. I think the mobile devices will. And right. Christian, I would say it's drones that are going to put v6 in a in the perfect spot mm -hmm. as we have all these interesting delivery drones and all of that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean. They need to have, we're going to have, I think, years from now, there will be hundreds or millions of them available to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the perfect V6. Like today, V4 can't support that. And cars, right? Cars, autonomously driven cars, they're going to have, I think they're going to have dozens. I would I almost said hundreds. That's probably an exaggeration. I think they will have dozens of things that report and need their own address in the car. Um, now, the car could also be this, you could make the same argument for the car that you make for the home, that it could be its own network, and things right. inside the car could do all their own attaching. But why? Why would you, if you're already mobile, just take advantage of the V6 infrastructure and make that yep. work? So, I think those are two areas that we get autonomous cars and, and the drone infrastructure that we're going to create, whether that's military or not. Um, you know, I think those are going to be. I mean, Amazon is going to have a fleet that mm -hmm. fly around delivering you stuff. It's going right. to. Have yeah, it's essentially all the devices that aren't tied down to your house. Right. To your house. Yeah, I just I think that's and until we until we talked about it here, I never even thought of it that way. So thanks for as I'm talking through this. I don't know if the home changes anything for the most part. I can have a fridge. It can still attach V4 because exactly. my home infrastructure supports that. Uh, right. Today, I have no motivation to go to V4, but as soon as I leave the house, boom, got to have right. it. So again, again, even those uh, devices, you know, for example, the smart fridge, you know, you have the camera, you can access it from your phone, but that's still going through your home network. Right. You know, instead, you could have a direct connection between your fridge and your phone, so and then just cut out the. Right. No, right on. And but I just think that. that's the hard sell. I think right, the hard right. sell is is me who's already spent 15 years figuring out V4 and right. built all this infrastructure in our house, and sure. we're going to have a hard time. Christian, it's going to be hard to sell me on V6 internally. Yeah. Like, I have to learn a whole new stack. Not really. That's not really true. But I've got to go into my router and now figure out, okay, so what does this mean? What can I use? Is it going to be secure? Those right. are all the questions we're going to have. Most folks will get jarred by seeing the hexadecimals, but once we can get through that together, it'll be okay. It's <laughs> a big number. <laughs> It's a it's a little bit like um, a MAC address, I think. Until but so was V4 when we first saw it. Like, yeah. oh, what are all these? What are all these numbers? Um, and so I think once we get used to it. But but I just think the semi-pro home enthusiast is going to be jarred. Yep. You know on its deployment. So, guys, as we uh, we we we're we're up on the hour. Anything else we want to throw in on on V6, Aruna? Anything? Uh, no, I think we covered pretty much all. Uh, cool. Yeah, Christian? Sounds like a landing to me. You guys taught me some new stuff tonight. I'm super impressed. I thought when we were talking about this, I was like, eh. When you, when you guys were presenting it, and I thought, well, I'm, okay, I'll just kind of sleep through it. But you guys have really, I mean, like, okay, I've got some things. And it's not like the techie, nerdy, like, but some really good things that I think, okay, how am I going to deploy this in the home? How is it important to me? How is it going to become important for my mobile devices? And, and, and how is it going to roll out? I mean, I think I need to be more aware um, of its rollout. I was, while we were doing this, I was checking to see if my, <laughs> if my cell phone had, one, had the upgrade and it did. So I'm, I'm good, Christian. Thank you for the reminder, uh, 9.3.3. But I wanted to see if I had a V6 address or a V6. Yeah. 
So no, that's a good point. Still be, but it's it is coming. I, there's going to have to be a tipping point, right? And I think it's going to be painful. <laughs> I'll look in mine though too, because I'm, I'm curious if Sprint has gotten their game together or not. I don't think they have. Actually, I, uh, actually, since I'm I'm using Project Five, and a few days ago I was checking, and I was on V6, so um, you know, Sprint might have it. Uh, Sprint. I mean, I Sprint or T-Mobile, either one. Yeah. But you know, I wonder. So if you're on your Wi-Fi, Jim. Um, and you do, you know, an IP check. Is it through your Wi-Fi that you get it's, the IP address? Yeah, it is. I think I, I need to go back in and look at it again because that's I have a Wi-Fi address uh, that's given. Right. Um, and I don't exactly know where the right. I've got a Mac. It's given me a Mac address for Wi-Fi, but I don't. I could I could easily shut that off. Um, maybe we'll do that in the post show. Take a look. Take a take a look and see if Sprint is what Sprint is using. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't spend a lot of time digging into my iPhone. Did you see Christian? Do, do you? I can't figure out how to get it to come up in the yeah, Android six. I need to dig in. I need to dig in. I think they hide it from us. <laughs> I know it used to be relatively easy to find because I've done it before, but but it's definitely taking on the inside when I'm Wi-Fi. It's taking a V4 address, right? It's getting right. one of my one nine two dot one sixty eight. So it'd be interesting if I turned it on LTE, shut off Wi-Fi. While we're uh, while we're closing things out, I will shut down. Um, you know, I will shut down. And I'm sure for some of those of you who are listening know that uh, you probably know that right off the bat. You're screaming at me through in your car right now because you're like, Jim, don't be an idiot. It's this. And so, sorry about that. Um, I'm still new to a lot of the stuff as well. All right, we'll shut that off and then oh, acquire. I do. I do have an IP6 address. IP6, Please. yeah. Yeah. And your Android on Sprint? Android on Sprint, yeah. IPv6. I wonder if you can just go to Google, type in, uh, that's what I ended up doing. I uh, couldn't find the settings actually on Android to um, figure out what my IP address was. Uh, so. No, you should just ignore what I said. Um, I turned off my Wi-Fi radio, and now I only have a V4 address. V4. Ah, uh, it's a yeah, sad one. I'm pretty sure, and I'd have to do some digging, I'm pretty sure I'm on here hitting the towers in Nebraska. Yeah, I was, but you never know. We're close. We're close to the Kansas City hub, so you would never, uh, you never know. I'll have to dig in a little bit and uh, take a peek at it. But I think that'll cover it for V6. Uh, we've gotten a couple Cyber Frontiers in over the summer, and uh, we're back to school now. We'll have to figure out some some scheduling during the uh, during the fall, and maybe not drop off like we did in the spring. But Christian, we made it to 30, so we can't quit now. I mean, 30 is the number. There's two numbers that are important in podcasting: seven and 30. And so uh, we made it. This is this is number thirty. Congratulations, Christian, for getting. And you did hundreds of uh, home tech episodes. Right? Yeah. So it's not. Yeah. Like, it's not like. Uh, hey, any um, with Maple Grove Partners? Any security updates? Anything you've been working on in the network there at uh, Maple Grove Partners? Yeah, we've been uh, working on rolling out some more sophisticated uh, DDoS uh, automated protection. Uh, and I know uh, that's gone a lot better and we've been able to really streamline some of that process and we're also working on um, some more of the uh, containerization work and trying to keep that modernized but uh, yeah it's, it's doing pretty well it's, cool. it's, a, it's a stable place to be well good well I've I've certainly I've seen you reboot some stuff and in, in the summer I see you work yeah. on it a little bit more than fall and spring but it's kind of nice to uh, to know you're watching over that you can, uh, if you're thinking about starting a website, uh, a blog on WordPress or a, po- or a podcast uh, plans at starting as cheap as 10 bucks, and they get you a lot for $10 over at Maple Grove Partners. Check it out, maplegrovepartners.com. If you want to see how it runs, just go to theaverageguy.tv. That's actually hosted by Maple Grove Partners. And I push a lot through there, Christian. I mean, we, we, we get quite a yeah. bit. I, you know, we get a couple thousand downloads, plus this, uh, Cyber Frontiers. Out there in Maple Grove, and uh, we do it all. And so, if uh, you're interested in doing it, uh, send Christian a note or head out to MapleGrovePartners.com. You can sign up right there online, and he has some really slick billing that'll just take care of things super quick, and he gets it set up super fast for you as well. So, all kinds of great service, and uh, you might want to check it out again. MapleGrovePartners.com. We'll remind you if you want to take advantage of uh, if you're purchasing on Amazon, and who does not buy an Amazon these days? If you want to use the Amazon, uh, the Tech Scholarship Fund, the Average Guy Tech Scholarship Fund here at theaverageguy.tv, just use theaverageguy.tv slash Amazon. And uh, and actually last month was a great month. You guys really supported the network. We appreciate that. That allows me to do some upgrades and and uh, uh, purchase items for folks if they want to test it and those kinds of things. So if you want to do that and support us, 
like I said, July was a great month. Appreciate it doing that as well. If uh, if you don't want to do that on Amazon, we do have a Patreon uh, link out at theaverageguy.tv. Look in the right-hand column. And uh, actually, I have, a, uh, I have a couple deals going right now. You can just support us for a buck if you just want to try it. So I see what Patreon's like. That's out there. A $3 support right now. $3 a month. You can just do it for one month if you want. But $3 gets you the new Home Gadget Geek sticker. I have, I have stickers now, Christian. I ordered some stickers. Can't really Everybody wrong, loves right? stickers, right? Everybody loves stickers. So 3 bucks, I'll ship it to you via, via, in the U.S., I could do it overseas. It's a little more expensive for me, but uh, I'm not making any money, obviously, off of a $3 sticker. The stickers cost like a buck, and it's going to cost me another couple. Depending in the United States, what's what's postage? $0.42 cents now for a stamp? Postage? Right. I think 42 It was 47 and they actually dropped it. There's no business that's losing money like the post office and drops their prices on stamps. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but it's it. they did. So uh, if you wanna if you wanna check that out, go to the Patreon. Uh, if you it's a little too late now for this month, but if you support now, they'll bill you first of September for the whole three dollars, and then I'll ship you a sticker. No. Be fun to have you as a supporter. So get that done. I'm only have thirty. I only ordered thirty. We're gonna see how they go. So either they're gone, or I'll have a few left, and uh, head over to theaverageguy.tv/patreon or, or no, theaverageguy.tv/support if you want to do it that way. And, of course, don't forget, you can send us an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv or track me down on Twitter. Christian, I think I almost got 5,000 following us on Twitter now. So I think, impressive. I've passed, I think I've passed you up pretty soundly. Yeah. Okay. Threw down the gauntlet. Right. Your, your, uh, your, your Python script has uh, not kept up. Just saying. Yeah. If only it ran. You shut it off, right? <laughs> <laughs> you shut it off a lot. What time. you should be more impressed with is the fact that I've stayed over 3,000 voters with my Twitter inactivity going on for close to a year now. That's yeah, you haven't, you haven't really done much on Twitter, right? Just a few things yeah. here and there. But you're a busy guy out there at the University of Maryland. Speaking of that, I'm going to be in the Maryland area uh, coming up here at the end of August. So looking forward to seeing you guys on campus as well. Maybe a little meetup and that kind of thing and so if you're out in the Maryland area and uh, maybe we can uh, do a maybe we can do a Cyber Frontiers meet yeah up. there is something going on on Tuesday or Wednesday night we'll try and pull that off uh, send me an email Jim at the TV. we're out here whenever we feel like being out here and uh, we'll be back whenever we feel like coming back just watch my Twitter account that's when I announce it for the next Cyber Frontiers we've made it to 31 woohoo and with that we'll say goodnight everybody